as Dharma teachers, it seems like one of our uh, responsibilities is to talk about the difficulty of Dharma practice. Dharma practice is difficult. There are difficulties that we encounter. Uh, Dharma practice is uh, a practice of uh, learning to be in life in a skillful way, in a joyful way, in a way in which we know happiness, uh, and there's difficulty in life. So Dharma practice is this practice for life, it is really uh, a little microcosm of life. So there's difficulty in practice, there's difficulty that we meet on a day like today. We've all had experiences that may have been difficult or what we sometimes call disagreeable experiences. Uh, hindrances on a retreat are uh, one of the primary ways uh, that difficulty presents itself to us particularly those hindrances of, uh, aver of uh, dullness, you know, uh, the mind defending against being present and going into a state of dullness, or that very restless mind. You know, I was grappling with, uh, with dullness today at different times, drowsiness. Uh, the body may not be the way we would like it to be, the concentration may not be developing the way that we think it should be developing. The mind may not be the way that we'd like it to be. There may be hindrances, there may be emotions uh, that are arising uh, that we find disagreeable. There may be other things that we find disagreeable. On a retreat, things don't go the way uh, we'd like them to go. And then we tend to react to that, right? We react with aversion, with disliking. We're in conflict with our experience. We often end up fighting. You know, there's this, I notice this in myself, how I'm fighting with my experiences. It's like I'm in a battle uh, with my experience. What we see uh, in terms of the way that we are on a day like today or in our practice is, is the way that our mind is. You know, it's our habitual patterns and the ways that we fight our experience, the ways that we create conflict. You know, we're the ones creating it, right? Uh, the way that we create conflict with our experience, the ways that we struggle with our experience. just been noticing in my own practice uh, and it kind of came up earlier in the day today uh, just how I was fighting my experience and uh, in, you know sort of in this in this conflict with it and uh, you know so there was seeing that which was really good and then there was kind of you know pulling back and seeing that and it's like you know, this is a pattern. You know, this, this isn't happening because I came on this retreat today. You know? That's what we tend to think. It's like, it's the retreat. It's the retreat. You know, and, but it was really clear. It's like, wow, this is, this is a way that you have been suffering, you know, and that you are suffering. And I could just, I saw right into 
you know, the habitual nature of that way that I fight with my experience and how, in particular, lately, I've just been in a, a little bit of a knot, you know, sometimes not so, a little bit of a knot, you know, sometimes a kind of a, a, you know, a really strong knot, and it was like, oh, you know, this is how the mind is, this is how you're struggling, this is how you're suffering, uh, you know, of late. And that was good, because there was, there was some insights, that's the first noble truth, right? It's like seeing suffering, you know? There was some space there and acknowledging that uh, and the truth of that. Uh, and of course, you know, part of that is seeing that this is, as I've said, what we're doing. And then there's some compassion. Oh, you know, you're, you're, you're fighting your experience. You're in a knot with the way things are. So, you know, we kind of push against uh, the truth, we could say. You know, we could push against the truth of the way things are. Uh, the way, when we say the way things are, the truth of conditioned experience, right? Sankara, you know, life is made up of conditioned experience, lots of different kinds of conditioned experience. Some of it's agreeable, some of it's disagreeable. We kind of push against, we want experience to be agreeable. And it's just like, this is kind of life. It's just all this conditioned experience. Uh, you know, uh, and the Buddha said, you know, it's kind of like the experience of the aggregates. You know, it's just, it's all conditioned experience. You know, some of it's agreeable, some of it's disagreeable. The experience, excuse me, of the mind and the body. The experience of the mind and the body. The thoughts and the emotions in the mind, the perceptions in the mind, uh, the way the body is, and the various sensations of the body. So we kind of push against that. We push against uh, where it odds with experience, with our experience, the experience of body and mind, uh, the experiences of the world. Uh, and then, of course, there's the, those uh, very profound experiences of the world that we tend to find disagreeable and push against the experiences of sickness, aging, death, and separation. So you know, when we push against, when we're at odds with experience that's difficult and challenge and challenging, uh, you know, the, the, the term I think of, we're out of sorts, right? We're out of sorts. Uh, the Buddha used the term, you know, being out of tune. You know, we're out of tune with the way that things are, with the way that things are. You know, we're not in harmony. We're not, uh, we're not uh, aligned with the truth that our experience, uh, our conditioned experience, the conditioned experience of life, the experience of the body and the mind is often disagreeable, difficult, challenging. So, you know, seeing that we're out of tune is the first step in getting in tune. Mm -hmm. That's the first noble truth, basically, seeing that you're out of tune. And the beginning of that process is, uh, you know, it's interesting, because once you start to see that you're out of tune or you're out of sorts, or you're at odds with your experience, you know, and there's some space there, uh, you know, there tends to be this understanding that this is the way things are. There is difficult, disagreeable experience. 
uh, and uh, you know we can have you know we take this little bit of, of a step back from it's just this is just the way things are and there's this quality of acceptance there's this quality of acceptance so we're able to kind of meet our experience with the heart when we see and we are able to take a step back from it the retreats are really good for doing that and uh, you know, there's a quality of acceptance and understanding what is, understanding that, okay, experience, conditioned experience, experience of body and mind is often difficult, unsatisfactory, disagreeable. So acceptance, you know, acceptance includes that, right? Just understanding that this is the way that it is. This is the way that it is. It's like, this experience right now is, you know, this is the way that it is in terms of body and mind. The body may feel a certain way, the mind may be a certain way. It's constantly changing. So when there's this quality of acceptance, there can be compassion, there's wisdom. So, once we can kind of accept the way things are in terms of our human experience, if it's the experience on a retreat or all of our human experience, there can be wisdom. And you know, we can begin to be able to kind of meet our experience in a more skillful way with wisdom. So a lot of the time that when we're having difficulty We've been talking about this a lot lately in a meditation, on a retreat, in life. You know, we're fighting it and part of that process is trying to figure it out intellectually, trying to fix it, trying to change it, trying to get rid of it, you know, which just creates more tension. You know, that's how we create suffering. So, you know, we begin to learn to kind of see that we're out of tune with things, uh, we're out of sorts. Uh, we have more acceptance. Uh, uh, there's when there's this space, uh, then there's room for for wisdom. You know, uh, and wisdom might very well mean asking the question, "What's needed? What's needed right now?" Uh, but instead of trying to figure that out or fix our experience. You know, we're trying to align with the heart's understanding of what's needed at any moment. You know, it's kind of like with the breath, right? You know, on a very simple microcosmic level, the breath might have dis-ease in it. You know, the Buddha said the dis-ease in the breath is a microcosm of the mind and all of your human experience, right? So you can look at the breath and see its dis-ease and you can fight that and try to change the way the breath is, etc. Or you can just see that uh, and just bring awareness to it and then just allow the breath to regulate. You know? The body and its wisdom will regulate the breath. Uh, if we get out of the way and just allow that to happen you know, and, don't, and, don't, and don't fight our experience, the breath will come in to a state of regulation. Right? So it's, I mean, that's, that's the whole practice in a nutshell right there, right? Have you ever noticed that, like in the breath meditation? Uh, you know, 
the breath at, at a certain point may just all of a sudden just drop into a state of regulation, right? All of a sudden it's boom. You know, where'd that happen? Mm -hmm. you, know, you got enough space and there was just this quality of allowing your innate wisdom to to put you in tune. You allowed your body and mind's natural capacity to be in tune to take over. So sometimes just asking questions like, what is needed? What can I give? What can I give? It begins to connect us to our innate wisdom. What can I give to this moment right now instead of what can I get from it and I'm not getting what I want? The body isn't the way that I want it and the mind isn't the way I want it. What can I give? Begins to connect us to the heart and our innate wisdom. Well, what is there to learn? And just asking the question and letting the heart guide you in terms of showing you, letting your wisdom guide you and show you what there is to learn instead of trying to figure it out and fix some things. We talked about this in some of the, uh, the interviews today. You know, you know, it's like, you know, we're trying to, the mind is trying to create a certain experience. Uh, you know, maybe there's difficulty going on. Maybe there's some kind of mental, you know, difficulty, challenge that's happening. If it's a hindrance, if it's an emotion, you know, we're trying to fix that. But if we can kind of pull back from that or change that or, you know, we may have some ideas about it, but if we can kind of pull back from that, uh, you know, and ask, you know, what is there to learn? Often, you know, the gift that we've been given on the day of the retreat is to learn about our anger or our sadness or our worry or our dissatisfaction or the knot we're in. You know? But in our sort of intellectual wisdom, we think we know what is in our best interests on the retreat, but the heart understands maybe what's in your best interest is to, is to see your anger and your sadness and your worry and your dissatisfaction. So we incline to a deeper understanding. The heart understands. You know, retreat, this is you know, what we're learning to do, is learning to incline in our practice to a deeper understanding, to be in tune. So, you know, we begin to ask what is there to learn or what is needed and, uh, you know, we have these ideas about where happiness is uh, and, you know, happiness would be if I can get rid of this emotional state or if my body was a certain way or the breath was a certain way or I didn't have the hindrances, you know, once we can kind of give up that fight, you know, then we can begin to ask where is happiness. You know, and or if you want to use whatever word that you want to use for happiness, uh, we ask, what can I find happiness in this moment? And we let our, the heart guide us to that understanding of where happiness is. You know, because, because the mind is, is, you know, it has ideas. It's like if I can get my conditioned experience to be in a certain way, I'll be happy. So we kind of give up that fight. And then we ask, we begin to connect in to a deeper understanding of, well, where is happiness in this moment? And the heart is like, oh, it's right there. Oh, it's right there. It's right there. Or we begin to incline to, to it. So in the retreat, we, we, learn to, we learn to meet our experience of life more skillfully, not fighting our experience of body and mind, the experience of the aggregates, if you will, 
uh, the hindrances on a very prosaic level or the way the breath is. Uh, and really, we learn not to fight by seeing that we're fighting. We learn to have acceptance of what our experience is. Right? This is my experience. I'm in a knot. I can just accept the fact that I'm in a knot and I'm struggling and I'm having a hard time. I mean, right there, you know, everything starts to shift. It's like, I don't have to, I don't, I don't have to be in this battle with this. Uh, so we have acceptance, there's some space, equanimity, compassion, and, and then there can be wisdom, and wisdom begins to show us that happiness is there. You know, it begins to point us to the ever-present truth. In, in Pali is a kalika. You know, the happiness is right there. We're just trying to fix the way the body is or get rid of the hindrance. Meanwhile, happiness is, is there. A kalika, part of the ever-present truth. So we begin to understand that, you know, these little moments, right? These little moments or glimpses of awakening. A little bit moments of awakening. We're able to kind of stop fighting and you know and start to trust in the heart uh, and be connected to the heart uh, uh, and we begin to have these moments of awakening when there's fighting our experience you know there's wanting our experience to be a certain way not wanting wanting not wanting aversion and desire right the heart is blocked right when you're fighting your experience your heart is blocked when you're in a battle with your experience, your heart is blocked, right? Uh, you're engaging in, in aversion and desire, you're clinging, and we don't see the happiness that's there. We don't understand that there is happiness in this life. We don't understand that there is peace, that there's refuge in this life. We don't understand it because we can't see it, because the heart is blocked. The heart is what understands that happiness is in the heart, but we're cut off from that. So as we begin to let go of this fight, this wanting and not wanting, and open up to our experience the way it is, we can become more connected to the heart. We have more moments of awakening. We're awakened to the truth in the heart and the happiness of heart. We're in tune with the heart. The understanding in the heart. We understand the goodness in life. The goodness that transcends you know, conditioned experience. We understand the goodness in us, in all of us, in each of us. We understand that. You know, this understanding is happiness. This is the happiness of the heart. So, we talk about this a lot, that, you know, one of the reasons why retreat is very useful is that uh, we're creating conditions where we can have moments uh, where we have glimpses of, of peace, of, of happiness, of the happiness of the heart. Moments when we're connected to the heart. And it's really important to have those moments and to know those moments when we're connected to the heart. It's essential if we want to move forward in our path because that's the goal of the path is to know the heart and to live from the heart.
So when they're suffering, when we're suffering, what that means is the heart is blocked. There's grasping. We're holding on. When we refrain from grasping, we begin to know these moments of awakening. We begin to know these moments of awakening. We begin to know these moments of happiness when that which is blocking the heart is no longer blocking the heart. The heart shines. These are moments of awakening, happiness, happiness of heart. So in our retreat, in our practice, our meditation practice, we're cultivating conditions that lead to these moments of awakening when we're connected to the heart. And again, they tend to be glimpses, right? They tend to be glimpses. All of the effort that we put into being present, all of the effort that we put into uh, uh, seeing that we're fighting our experience and refraining from fighting, all the effort that we put into letting go uh, uh, leads us to know the heart and those moments when the heart is free. And leads us to those moments when we're able to be connected to the heart. But we don't know when those moments are going to occur. That's the thing about those moments. It's not linear. It's not a linear process, right? It's not a linear process. It's not like, oh, I see that I'm fighting, you know? Oh, I can see that. Let me take a step back from that. You know, maybe there's some peace there. Uh, but, you know, it's not like, okay, I see that, boom, I, now I feel the happiness of heart. You know? uh, those moments when we become connected to the heart are random. You know, they're unpredictable. We don't know when they're going to arise. Tanisaro Bhikkhu uh, says that uh, the, the scientific theories of chaos theory really explain in a good way or a very consonant way uh, a lot of the way the Dharma unfolds. So uh, whatever occurs in nonlinear systems, you know, and the human experience is incredibly nonlinear. Right? Uh, all the experience that we have internally and externally of body and mind, uh, you know, what's, what's happening, our experience is, we use that term felt sense, but it's, it's this uh, uh, experience that we have that's a consequence of all the experiences that we've had in our lives, plus all the experiences that are external to us. Uh, so, uh, when certain events occur, they occur in a very random and unpredictable way uh, in these complex systems, like the human system. So we don't know when uh, those moments are going to arise, which means we have to really pay attention. We have to really pay attention. But it has to be, uh, it has to be uh, something that we are inclined to want to do, to pay attention. To pay attention. This is what a Dharma student does. You know? You know, 
know, the, the average run-of-the-mill person, you know, walks out onto Hudson Street and says, you know, where am I going to get a good lunch? And where can I get a good martini? Or, you know, where can I buy something? Or I mean, what can I do? And, and, the, and, and, the, and the Dharma student walks out to, onto Hudson Street and says, you know, I'm going to really be attentive to those moments of awakening. I'm, yeah, and that's really what a Dharma student is, you know? I mean, amongst uh, the other things that we're doing is you are attentive, you're paying attention to those moments of awakening. We're not so concerned with that other stuff. That's what we're concerned with. That's our task. That's the task of the Four Noble Truths, of the Third Noble Truth. Realize those moments of of freedom, of peace. And if you're looking for where the good lunch is or where the good margarita is, you're not going to notice. So, so, so this is what this talk is about. It's when you're out there on Hudson Street, when you're at home, wherever you are, and you're paying attention. These are the things that we're paying attention to. So you're paying attention to when you're fighting your experience, and then you're paying attention to what lies on the other side of conditioned experience. You know, we're in this battle with conditioned experience. We're learning to relinquish that battle, and we're learning to look for a happiness that transcends conditioned experience. That's the Dharma. That's the Four Noble Truths. So uh, you have to pay close attention. Sometimes it happens in the sitting. Just a moment. Uh, I mean, in a similar way, when we were doing the metta today, uh, uh, I was really trying to be diligent. I'm leading it, and you know, in terms of my own practice, uh, and I was like, man, there's nothing really happening. But I was, I, I, was, I mean, I, I was acknowledging that I was. It, it seemed very flat, uh, but I wasn't discouraged, you know. But I was just seeing that, and then. There was a little, there was a moment, you know? I mean, it was so, it was the tiniest little moment where the heart just, boom. I was like, ah. And I noticed that. It was so subtle, but I noticed that. That's what, dar- that's what metta practice is about. It's about, usually it's about noticing those little tiny, I mean, for me, that's what it's about. And maybe if you do a metta retreat, you notice, nah, it's usually that. It's usually those little tiny, the Buddha said a finger snap, right? The Buddha talked about this so much, right? A finger snap, a finger snap of metta is greater than 10,000 moments of non-metta. So that's what you're noticing. That's what you're noticing, those finger snaps. This could happen in the sitting, could happen in the walking. Oftentimes those kinds of, you know, you, 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 you're aware of that at lunch. That's why I always say at lunch and you're walking down the street, you're attentive and you're not looking for the margarita or the, the lunch. And you know the you know the, the sandwich, you know, and you know, so, oh, there there that is, you know? or a lot of times on day longs it's at it's after you go home, or it's the next day. I remember the day long we had last month uh, here. Uh, the next day in the afternoon, I went out for a walk. I was walking down the street, and I was just boom, it was right there. It was right there. So. But I, and I was, I was prepared for it. I noticed it. So if we go back to chaos theory, and I don't know how many physicists we have here, 
uh, it is very interesting how it, it, it really helps us understand how, how awakening happens. And again, Tanis Arabico says this, uh, awakening happens in moments that are very unpredictable. So events occur in chaos theory, things happen uh, uh, in very nonlinear systems, complex nonlinear systems that are it's very random and unpredictable, but there's patterns to the unpredictability. There's a rhythm to the unpredictability. And so this is what they found, is though, although it, 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 it's not possible to predict when things will arise, there are certain patterns that indicate when things will arise. So we become sensitive through our practice to these kinds of patterns. You know, it's kind of a rhythm. It's a rhythm of life or a rhythm of dharma you know, that we become sensitive to. You know, so we try to live in this rhythm or be sensitive to this kind of rhythm. So it's kind of like as you're walking down the street, uh, you know, as a Dharma student, you've developed uh, a sensitivity to patterns uh, of experience and uh, you understand how things unfold and what it's like when things unfold and when things arise. And when they do, you're sensitive to that and, you, and you're aware of them in those moments. So these patterns are, are universal, right? They're universal. So it's like these patterns of experience when, we're, when we are not focused on conditioned things, there's a pattern of life, of dharma, of truth that's universal, that's there. Uh, it's found in all experience on different scales. So like this day has a pattern, you know, this whole day, this whole retreat, each walking meditation period follows that same pattern of experience, right? I mean, I, this is a very hard thing to explain, but you have a sense of that, right? That a day of meditation on a retreat, you know, you have a felt sense of what a day like that is, right? A day like uh, on the retreat has, has a pattern to it, you know? Most of you have done a lot of these retreats, so you know that, right? There's a pattern to the way experience unfolds, right? It's like, you know, it's, it's like I understand those patterns of Dharma, so I understand what it means to be connected to those patterns so that when I'm walking down the street the day after the retreat, I'm sensitive to that and to being in that pattern of being with the truth as it is, and I can notice those moments when they arise. So each moment, each day has, has a pattern, uh, and, but you find that same pattern in, in each sitting and in each walking, and actually in each moment. So this moment right now follows that pattern, if you can connect into it, that pattern of truth. It's right there, right? And can you feel that? It's right there in every moment. Right? So we become aligned with those patterns. Instead of fighting our experience, we become aligned with those patterns of truth, of dharma. And that's what enables us to have those glimpses of freedom. It's the term some of you may know in chaos. There is fractals, right? 
tree has a pattern, you know? And then if you look at each leaf on their tree, it follows that same pattern. And then if you take a, a little piece of the leaf, it follows the same pattern. It follows the same pattern. So again, you know, this is something that you understand in the body. It's not, in, I mean, you can't understand this intellectually. You can't understand this intellectually. It's a felt sense of your human experience. Right? I mean, all spiritual traditions talk about this, right? You know? It's a felt sense. This is a spiritual practice. It's a felt sense of your experience, or you could call it a rhythm. This is what we really mean to be in tune with the Dharma. It's being in tune with the happiness, the goodness, the joy, the beauty, the wonder of experience. said that artists understand this, right? You know, and that's what, you know, art, uh, I don't know if you know, great uh, chaos theory theoretician Mitchell Feigenbaum used to talk about this, right? He, did, he died very recently during the pandemic. Grew up in Brooklyn, public schools in Brooklyn, right? In the 40s, you know, it was incredible, the schools and all the people who came out of that as we sit here in PS3 as a little sidebar. Uh, but he said, you know, it's like, you can't understand life through, you know, through an equation. You know? He said it doesn't, it can't capture what life is. You know? you know, and that's what they understood. You know, like they tried to, they worked with all these equations, and they found, you know, the patterns were all unpredictable, and then they found a rhythm in those patterns. You know, so it was transcending the equation. But he said, I, I he really looked to art. So the artists are capturing those patterns that, you know, if you think of abstract art, or not even abstract art. And he said, if you look at Van Gogh, you know, early Van Gogh, you know, and, I mean, it seems very chaotic and it doesn't seem like reality, but there's a pattern to the whole painting, right? And then if you take each section, it follows that, and then if you take each brush stroke, it's each stroke, each line is following that same pattern. You know, as a writer, you know, that's, that's what, you know, that's what art is when, you, when you're writing, you know. A book has a pattern to it, a rhythm, right? And then each chapter follows that same rhythm. And each paragraph is the same rhythm. And each sentence follows that same rhythm. I mean, when it's really good, right? And we have some artists here who know exactly what I'm talking about, right? You know, it's like when I'm really connecting, when I'm writing, each word follows that pattern. You know? And it's funny, like, it's not so much the meaning of the word, it's the sound, really. You know, and, it, you, and usually, I mean, this may seem like, what is he talking about? But it's, it's usually the way the, the word is constructed in terms of the vowels. You know, it's like this word with an O in it is not right. It doesn't fit the pattern of this, of this book. I need a word here right now with, with you know, the vowels I. So it's, it's a felt sense, Mitchell Feigenbaum said. Somehow the wondrous promise of the earth is that there are things beautiful in it, things wondrous and alluring, and by virtue of, by virtue of your trade, you want to understand them. And this, our trade is a Dharma student. What we're doing is putting input into the system so that we can be aligned with these patterns, right? So, you know, so that we're in, we're in tune with these patterns. So seclusion, meditation, concentration, 
connection to the body, and in particular that ease in the body, that ease in the body, finding that rhythm. That's why the walking meditation to me is so important because you find really what I want to do. Like when I get up in the morning, I want to do a little bit of walking <laughs> meditation, right? And I want to connect with the breath and I want to connect with the body, but I want to connect with my rhythm. It's a rhythm. It's a deeper rhythm. You know, the rhythm of, of the heart, the rhythm of the Dharma. So we put this input into the system. We practice letting go. We, we see how we're fighting our experience. We see how we're caught up in how we think we should be doing that we're, what we're doing that we're not doing and what we're not achieving we see you know how we're fighting our experience and we learn to let go uh, we put this input into the system it really creates conditions to support the uh, being in alignment with these patterns and the arising of the moments of awakening so it's just like this talk you know it's like there may be parts of it that like, what is he talking about? But it's really about the rhythm and the spirit, you know, and the felt sense of the talk, right? That inclines us to have a sense of these patterns in life and what it means to be in tune so that we can begin to know moments of awakening, right? So the Dharma is a different way of being. I, I kind of described that. I, you know, I, I mean, I really like that. It's like, how are you when you're out on the street? You know, it's a perfect analogy when you go out into Hudson Street. You know, are we looking for you know, the sale in the store or where we can you know, get, get something to purchase or to eat or to drink? Or are we, are we, are we seeing if we can be in tune? now? You, one easy way to get out of tune is look at that person, look at that person. I don't like this. I'm too hot. I'm too cold. When am I going to leave New York? Bop, bop, bop. I'm, I'm just, that's just my mind in a few minutes, usually walking down Hudson Street. So, you know, if you're doing that, then you're out of tune, right? So you have to kind of get into your body, into a state of ease, and then you know, be in, in harmony. Be in harmony. And begin to be sensitive to having these glimpses of awakening. It's a different way of being. It's a different way of being. It's a way of being in tune. The more we know these moments, the more glimpses we have of our goodness and the goodness around us, of happiness, of freedom, the more we incline to them. The more we incline to them. So, uh, so it's really essential to knowing uh, these moments is to, uh, you know, to know them. You have to know them. Uh, the more we know them, the more we incline to knowing them. Uh, knowing these moments is essential to the whole structure of the Buddha's design that leads us to, to freedom. You know, so knowing the rhythm of life, knowing the rhythm of the Dharma, being in tune with that. You know, this is why days like this are really important because they really support us in, 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 in developing that knowing a little bit more on a deeper level than it's oftentimes possible to in daily life. Right? People always ask me, why do you do, that was sort of the genesis for this talk, is because people say, why do a day-long retreat? You know, it's like, now we're back to day-long retreats. And I really think it, it I don't, I think it has to be in person, meeting like this, where we can really 
connect to the Dharma, right? So we're learning to be in tune. We're learning to know these moments. You know, and each of us has the, this is our God-given ability, if you will. This is our birthright. This is our birthright. We're waking up to our potential. It's a potential we find in the body and we find in the heart. So our practice is to know this, this truth, this Dharma, the Dharma inside, to be in tune with the Dharma. So let's just close just for a second, close our eyes for just a second. <clears throat> 